Welcome to the All Hoops Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Inman. I'm joined by my star producer and co-host, Chris Brito. The impossible has happened. As Chris smartly predicted a few months ago, the Knicks are moving on to the second round of the NBA playoffs. We have a lot to discuss today, including that Knicks series with the Cavs, the future matchup starting Sunday with the Heat. Before we get to all that, Chris, I want to give you your moment in the sun and point out how you saw this coming many months ago. I told you it was one of the dumber predictions you had on the show. I was very wrong. You were very right. Tell us how it happened. Stevie, you don't need to call me the Oracle just yet, but I feel really strongly about how the Knicks played so well with um, with Brunson. It, it just seemed to me like the team was really clicking the last few months. And it just it showed. I think it showed on the court when they played against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it just made me really happy that um it, it all sort of like was put together in such a way that it made the Cavaliers look like deer in headlights. Um I think that one of the the other things about the Knicks that I really enjoyed was the fact that they did this really without playing great games themselves. I would say they won this game because of the rebounding in part because of Mitch. They won this also because of, you know, huge contributions from RJ. And obviously I mentioned Mitch, but also like Hart. Um, Brunson proved to be a steady leader throughout all of this. I feel like he was the guy who we didn't have two years ago, but now essentially made all the difference. Um, And I think there are even more reasons to be optimistic now heading into the series with the Heat. Uh, but overall, I mean, it's hard not to be happy about how the Knicks are playing. You can tell the hype is live in New York City, and I'm just so happy. This is probably the best team that I have seen in, in you know, I I did see the 1999 NBA Finals, but I was like, what, eight years old? I just didn't understand the gravity of the situation, but Ever since I really started following the team, this has to be the best team I've seen since I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, we talked about before the show, I was getting into basketball around 07, 08. I was like, oh, I'll be a Knicks fan. You know, they have a great plan to bring LeBron James in. He's got to wait it out two years. It'll work. And uh, we've seen very little playoff success. And now this is starting to already look like the greatest playoff run of my lifetime as a Knicks fan. And I want to bring up something you said about, you know, Mitch and and this team. They didn't play perfect basketball. They didn't play above their heads. And at the same time, they were just better than Cleveland. Cleveland did not look ready. They looked like the Knicks of two years ago, where the Knicks looked like that series two years ago, really calm nerves and really made everybody look comfortable. And like Mitchell Robinson, he averaged eight points. 9.8 rebounds. That's not really far off from what he's done in the regular season. And yet at the same time, the Knicks dominated the glass. And if they're able to do that against the Heat, which we'll get to in a little bit, they're in good business. But obviously, this is just a total shock to me because they did it in five games. They looked pretty dominant in most of these games. It wasn't like Brunson's hitting buzzer beaters to, to win games. Like They were up double digits for most of this series. And the yeah. way they were able to slow down Mitchell, 
and the way Mitchell Robinson was able to outplay the two bigs were just shocking things to me. Yeah, I I think that was the other thing. I think a lot of people expected the Cleveland Cavaliers to like, you know, just be these behemoths that would capture every single rebound. Um, but it just wasn't the case. Mitch on a much cheaper contract did a lot better than they did um, by himself. And I think this raises a lot of questions with the Cavaliers, you know, whether like a two big man system sort of works. Um, is Elon Mobley a star in the making? And then the other element of it, which was probably the headline heading into the series, was where where was Donovan Mitchell? You know, Donovan Mitchell had a had a really tough series. He, uh, he looked like maybe the fourth best player on the Cavaliers. No, and, I wouldn't go that far. He was still the best player on the Cavaliers, but you, uh, I would say Garland was. I mean. Mitchell averaged 23 a game, seven assists, five rebounds, and 43% shooting. It's not great. But to me, that was still the best Cavalier in the series. I think it came down to they got inconsistent minutes from Garland. They got very little out of their two bigs. They got nothing from their bench. And Mitchell went from – Mitchell was good. And for them to win the series – and I think we both thought this would happen. We both thought Mitchell would be excellent. And he was he was good. And that was just not close to good enough to win this for them. And no, I you know what? It's probably not fair for me to say this about Donovan Mitchell, but I just expected more out of him. I think he was sort of like celebrated as this guy who was gonna be the difference maker for the Cavaliers. And you know, to an extent he was. He's gonna make an all NBA this year and you know, led the Cavaliers from being a what? a play-in team last year to a fourth seed, which is a big accomplishment on their on, on their behalf. Um, but this team has a lot of holes. They need to find three-point shooters. They need to find guys who can defend and shoot the three-point sh- uh, shot. Um, but, you know, enough about the Cavaliers. It was a good Wait, series. real quick, just to yeah. wrap up with that. Garland in the series, 20 points, five assists, basically the same shooting, the same turnovers as Mitchell. So – those two guys were good, but they to win, they had to be excellent. I think you and I both thought they would be excellent, and they were not. And they were. I think uh, you got to give Tom Thibodeau a ton of credit for the way he was able to control those two guys and keep them under control, whereas the next series we're going to talk about with Milwaukee and Miami – the Bucks had no answers for Jimmy Butler. They did not know how to control that series. They played at a heat pace. And uh, I'm curious what you thought about that. The the Heat Bucks or the Knicks? I would say just in terms of Thibodeau being able to oh, yeah, mark yeah. on the series in a way that we did not see in the other series. I think there were many tells we talked about in the last show where Obi replaced Randall when he wasn't playing well the other the other I think it was what game four. Um, and just like writing, just writing his, his players, the way, like getting the most out of them in a way that he was able to respond to a lot of the Cavaliers lack of adjustments. Cause they, they didn't really make any adjustments. Um, and generally speaking, I think Thibodeau did a great job managing this whole game. And the other person who deserves credit in all this is Leon Rose. 
Leon, I would say all the players that Leon Rose um, had a part in either signing or trading for over the last year or so played big roles, big parts. He was able to adjust um, in a way that this team became better as as the team as the year went on. I mean, look at Hart, Hardenstein, look at Hart, um, you know, RJ Barrett, who was. We gave him a big extension. He played incredibly. Like just to see him play the way he did in this in this round makes me think, like, wow, okay, this is the guy that we expected him to be. And he's playing on the biggest, he's playing this well on the biggest stage of his career. You know? Uh, and you know, that front office, Tibbs, the Knicks themselves, like deserve all the flowers in the world right now for the way they're playing. Absolutely. Yeah. Barrett was awesome after the first two games where it looked like this is a guy who should get less playing time. And then the, the last three games, he was awesome. So it's a great job by the Knicks overall. And now we're going to talk about their opponent, the Miami Heat, who defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in 8-1 upset. I think it's the sixth one in NBA history. They did it in five games. And Chris, where do you want to start here? This was an incredible series. You know, I'll be honest, like before I saw this Knicks run, I I expected, I mean, the Bucks were my finals pick at the beginning of the season. And I even had a little, I had a little money on it too. But, you know, things don't always go our way sometimes in that regard. But I'm glad the, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just, it sucks for the Bucks because they had played really well during the regular season. And just like fumbled the bag at the very end in the playoffs. And I don't know how badly Giannis's injury was, but I think a lot of the series, I, I fully believe that the Bucks could have beaten the Heat without Giannis. I mean, the Heat had Jimmy Butler and a bunch of undrafted players, and which is no disrespect to them. But, you know, there are a lot of players on the Bucks who are a little more well regarded than the players in the Heat. And somehow they made it happen and, and good for the, the Jimmy Butlers and, and, uh, and that Miami heat team. Like, I don't know how they pulled this off, but Jimmy Butler is such an incredible special player. I'm, I'm nervous about him in, in, in with the Knicks. Um, do we want to talk about the matchup first? Or do you, do you have any other comments on the bucks? Heat? I would just say, I mean, Jimmy Butler. Wow. Just he averaged basically 38 points a game in the series on 60% from the floor, six rebounds, five assists, didn't really turn the ball over. Every game of the seat of the series, he shot over 50%. So he was efficient, he was dominant, he got other guys involved, he was great. And to we he deserves most of the credit for this series, but for the Bucks to not make any adjustments at all. And basically say, this is how we run our defense. This is how we run our offense. We're not changing anything. Again, this is not the first time they've had a, a quiet playoff exit very quickly, also to the Miami Heat. And so they just didn't adjust. They didn't trap Butler. They didn't double team Butler. They didn't force the ball out of his hands too often. They didn't try to switch other defenders on him. I know Drew Holiday is a great defender, but it wasn't working. Great offense often beats great defense, and that's what happened in the series. And it was just one of those, oh, if they beat our A-plus plan, 
or plan A, then they win. And there was no plan B, there was no plan C, there, there seemed to be no adjustments. And I, we've seen this too many times from Budenholzer. And I just think if the Bucks want to go from, we won a championship, it was awesome. We're going to celebrate this team every 10 years to we have one of the more special players to ever come across in the NBA and we want to win multiple championships. I think they need a better coach. And I think the talent is there to win this whole thing. And they, they just were out executed. I understand John Giannis missed two games, but they, they didn't look ready. They blew leads in every game. They didn't look ready. And I, I think it's time. I think the guy who could probably replace him is probably Nick nurse. I love it. I think that's a perfect fit. And, you know, if Jimmy Butler's Jimmy Butler was awesome. Jimmy Butler has 56 in a game. The next game, I got to be like, hey, we're double teaming him on everything. He's not getting 30 shots off. It's not happening. We can't let that happen. He took more shots in game five than he did in game four. <laughs> they just, I just thought they did a really terrible job. Jimmy obviously has to hit these shots. So he deserves a ton of credit, but I just felt like the Bucks had no plan for him. And you're seeing the same team five, six, seven times in a two-week span, and to just not try anything different is something that would drive me nuts. And I think now, moving over to the, the Knicks versus Heat, I think Tom Thibodeau is going to do a much better job in terms of looking at what happened with Jimmy and saying, how do we make sure this doesn't happen to us? That doesn't mean it'll work but I feel like you have a much better chance of it working by trying different things. Crazy concept. Right. Um, really quickly on the Knicks heat. I am confident Tibbs will make the adjustments. He showed, he showed me that he's someone willing to be malleable. The one concern I have is, is the Knicks maybe not meeting the intensity the heat brings. Um, now that the Knicks haven't shown it, but I think, the heat are just sort of fearless in that way. And it's like a, you're going from the Cavs who are maybe at a, like a, a two or a three to like the heat, which are a seven or an eight in terms of intensity. And I think it could be granted. This, this is the, obviously the pessimistic view, right? And I'm, it could be because it's clear to me that the Cavs didn't have an answer for Jalen Brunson. Um, I think the Heat will be much better at making it harder for Brunson to score. They have more people they can throw at Brunson. Um, and so we probably need Randall to come back. And yeah, I think if the Knicks win, they'll win it in six or seven games. It's going to be a drought and drawn out series. Yeah, I think this series is going to come down to the Knicks making adjustments on Butler and making Butler more of a facilitator and a playmaker versus a 45-point-a-game guy. And I think they will do that, and it's going to come down to the Gabe Vincents and the Loves and the Struces and the Lowrys to hit shots. And I think it took it took a really good coach in Spolstra to come out and say, you know what? Kyle Lowry, he's kind of at the end of his career. I understand he's had a great career. He's not going to start for us in these must-win games. We're going to we're going to go with Gabe Vincent. We're going to go with Struce. And those guys have been very good, especially Vincent in the in the Milwaukee series. I'm hoping now that those guys have been starting more, there's going to be more of a book on them. 
How do you slow them down? How do you not get them in the spots they want to be on? And if somebody's going to figure those things out, I think it's going to be Tom Thibodeau, who probably hasn't had this sleep in the last few weeks. He's probably laser focused on this. Listen, I don't, I don't discount that, but we can't sleep on those guys either. Gabe Vincent torched the torched Jalen Brunson last game they played. He did, and the Heat. We beat the Heat three times, and it's not to say that I'm not confident going into this game, but you know we squeaked out the the other game where Randall hit the game winner. So I just want to say that this is probably closer than we want to say it is, just because they're the Heat are an eight seed. They're like the the most deceiving eight seed of all time. This is not an eight seed. This is probably like a fifth seed. The well, we're the fifth seed, but the Bucks. Were minus six fifty favorites in Game Five. They are the over. Uh, the spread was thirteen, and the Heat won. So, I I see your point about not take like you got to take it seriously, obviously. But at the same time, I think having this home court advantage and having this Garden crowd will really help make sure that they're ready to go to start this game because they've had that Garden experience now in the last few games. And I think having that crowd around them is really going to help amp them up for Sunday, which is, you know, those, those early Sunday games are, are usually ones where people are falling asleep. Like the players, I think they're going to be ready to go. Yeah. And like, you can't say enough about how the Knicks have sort of like um, the Knicks fans have like come out and shown out. Like, I don't think I've, I've seen, one of the cool things from yesterday, I went to a, a, a Knicks watch party. It's just seeing like the rent, like on the way there, I was just like seeing so many people in, like Knicks gear and like sometimes you strike a conversation or whatever. And like, it's such a great feeling. Like I feel like my whole life we've been sort of chasing that, like for a team that everyone's sort of rallying around. And I feel like most people in the city, New York city, at least, in Manhattan maybe um, are Knicks fans. And like, just like nice to see, I don't know. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, besides for Butler, what do you see as the most important matchup or key to to the series? I think the other key is probably going to go again against Bam and Mitch, and I'll tell you why. A lot of the success of the Knicks is predicated on them getting second chance rebounds, right? You eliminate the second chance rebounds, um, and that there goes a huge chunk of our offense because we're not great three point shooters, um, and and we and it's not going to be as easy to score on the Miami Heat as it was against the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, and so that's the one matchup that I'm sort of looking at um, for now. I a hundred percent agree with you on that. I think it's crazy that like the way we're talking about this because the Cavs had like the number one defense in the league. Oh, it's true. Regular season, yeah. but at the same time, you're right. Like I'm way more nervous about the Heat defense, and these are be close, drawn out games than I was with with Cleveland. So, I I think the Bam Mitch matchup is going to be huge. Where I felt like the 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 Cavs had a big advantage in that with the two big guys the bigger names than Mitchell Robinson going into the series. I feel the same way about the BAM one, and hopefully Mitch can continue playing stellar. 
Yeah, and he has, and um, I'm. This is not a level. It's not. I don't think this rises to the level of huge concern. But Jericho Sims is injured, and leaves a little thin up front. But I hope I know we'll we'll be fine. You're not expecting him to play, but obviously Mitch has been injury prone his whole career. So if him or Hartenstein, t- you know, rolls an ankle and can't play for a half. You're right. They're thin. They're very thin. And so I think a lot of teams at this stage of the of the playoffs are thin. Like when Mobley or Allen got into foul trouble, which did happen a couple of times, they had no answers because they let Kevin Love go to Miami. But now Kevin Love, who's starting in Miami, if he goes down, they really have nothing behind him. They were using like Cody Zeller off the scrap heap, you know, as the bit the backup big. So it's not a Knicks thing. There are very few teams at this stage of the NBA playoffs that have depth. Like Boston and maybe Denver are really the only two I can think of that like if you need to go 9, 10, 11 in your rotation, you have options that make you feel okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think to be healthy in the playoffs is such a – it's a gift and obviously luck also. I mean, look at the amount of teams that have a star player injured. I mean, we're going to talk about it later about Kawhi and the Clippers, but look at look at how injuries derailed their season very late. Um, but anyway, I'm really happy that we're facing a, a matchup that we feel confident about. Yeah. But, you know, one series at a time, one game at, one a, time, at a time, one quarter at a time. And Regardless of what happens, I'm really proud of this team. Absolutely. The last thing I would say about it is they really do need to get Quentin Grimes back. He's been uh, questionable the last few games with an injury. And I think what we talked about with Milwaukee, just getting different looks on Jimmy Butler. It can't just be Barrett. It can't just be Hart. If you can put Grimes in there too for 15, 20 minutes on Jimmy Butler, I think that'll really help a lot as well. So hopefully this week off for him, will really help and uh can't wait for sunday it's going to be incredible so chris let's move on to final thoughts right after this all right chris final thoughts time here on the all hoops podcast a very uh exciting show for us as nick fans but let's move on to a unfortunate injury De'Aaron fox with the finger it looked like they were ready to take control of that series and then they uh they missed the big shot down the stretch in game four then they reveal Fox, you know, fraction of finger. He played through it, didn't look the same. Now the Kings are down 3-2 going into Golden State. Is this over? Yeah. It's over. But you know what? I think I think the Kings should feel, Kings fans and the Kings players should feel, like, pretty good about their future prospects. I think, you know, you have a star in Fox. You have a team that's, like, only going to get better. Um, hopefully it'll attract some free agents as well. Um, but it's unfortunate. I just think the Warriors, like, they're like, they're like the, I don't know, they're like the zombie that never actually dies. They keep, I thought that was the heat, but it might be also the Warriors as well. Uh, in terms of Fox, like, look, he played full minutes, but 42 minutes in this game, 24 points, but, you know, nine of 25 from the floor, that's like 36%. Mm-hmm. And so, he wasn't good and Sabonis has not been good in this series. And I think similarly, similarly to Cleveland, they're going to learn from this. 
and they'll be a lot better in their next playoff run. And give them credit. They won a couple of games. They lit the beam in the playoffs. It's not like they got swept. And uh, hopefully they can give us a good game six. Okay, speaking of teams that did not give us a good game six, the poor Clippers. Now Kawhi is a meniscus tear. Who knows what that, how that's going to impact next season. Paul George did not play in the playoffs again. And I just don't see this working out now. They were my team to win it all, Chris. And now it looks like best case scenario is what they bring Russell Westbrook back. Like that might be the best thing they can do at this point. And I, I feel terrible for, uh, for Balmer. Cause I felt like he built this thing the right way and it's all gone sideways. Yeah. I'm just going to make a point about the Clippers and, and Kawhi, Paul George. I, and I've mentioned this on the show a few times that like they should blow it up. And I think logically speaking, you and me, that's probably the, that's probably what they should do at the same time. It's really tough to pivot from those two with the amount of money that they're making their injury history. And the fact that they have a new arena coming up, I believe next year. And it's just tough because they put Ballmer in such a situation where like, Oh yeah, let's just trust Kawhi and whatever he's saying. But now it's like, this in like there's this injury that he had may have had before and and i think that could so distrust and i think if you're investing that much money into these players like you know i think there's a level of transparency you can expect but who knows what we only know what's being reported out there who knows what where the the actual vein of the truth is um it's just a shame for the clippers like we talk about the knicks and the kings being cursed but how many times have the Clippers like, you know, been the bride left at the altar in the playoffs? It sucks because they've been close. Like they've been a couple of wins away from a Western Conference Finals or a West or or a Finals, and just like somebody gets hurt, somebody gets COVID, somebody doesn't perform, they miss a bunch of threes. It's it's brutal. It's really upsetting because I think they missed their window. You know, they're not they're getting. They're getting up there in age. George is 33 next week. He has not played a full season since when? He has not played a full season since his Oklahoma City season, which was now five years ago. And I think most importantly, as you said, I don't think those guys really have any trade value if you wanted to blow it up. $45 million they're each owed next season, and then they both have identical $48.8 million player options for 2025. So they're owed basically two years and about $93 million. So just to make the math work on a salary dump is going to be tough. And you, you can't really give them up without getting something back. So I don't see how this works. The only way it works is if you just get a really desperate team like a Charlotte involved that's just so tired of being mediocre and says, we'll take the gamble on Kawhi being healthy for us. But I don't think they're even thinking this way. I think they're thinking, I don't know what they're thinking. I think they're just panicked. And I don't see them blowing this thing up this summer, but it's it's too bad because I think they need a change of direction. Yeah, Chris, for sure, um, absolutely. No, no, sorry, I was I was in mute and I didn't realize. I, even, I, I didn't just... know how to tell you. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, 
the Clippers are in an impossible situation for like for the many reasons you listed, but also like at the same time, if Kawhi, Paul George, and whatever the band, whatever band members you want to include there, they come back next season, they're still a, a contending team. There's just like, I mean, I would give it one more run just because you don't really have a better option. There's not really a better solution here. You don't have your draft picks. Those two guys make so much money. I think you just try it. I think really the last thing you can do is blow it up because of the financial implications of like, you know, ticket sales and all that stuff. Like, like unless you're getting like Wemby, which obviously is not even like part of the plan. Like it's really hard to sell on optimism when this team is like, where it is right now it's just, it's like I, i'm not gonna say worse than limbo but it's sort of like you're in a situation where you just can't win like okay let's say we let's replay this let's run it back next season and then we go through it again and then do you make the call then like right before you open an arena like i don't know yeah no it, it's tough i mean i always say it. you got to be able to sell your fans and your your owner on one of two things hope or winning and luckily for them and unfortunately for them they can sell hope so we'll have to wait and see if those guys can finally get healthy i really hope that uh they can bring a winner to the clippers because they've frankly they deserve it at this point it's been they've tried so hard to make this happen this is not one of these cheap owners that's you know not really doing the right thing they've i feel like they've done everything right and they just those two guys just couldn't be healthy but We'll see how it plays out. Last series, I want to talk about Lakers Grizzlies. Lakers up three to two. We've seen some big performances out of basically every star in this series, and it's been pretty good overall. Do you see the Lakers clinching this thing at home in Game Six? Yeah, I I, I think this series can get wrapped up um, at home for the Lakers. Um, I think right now, I don't even know if 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 Jaw were healthy, this would make would have made a difference. I just think the Lakers have this like swagger right now they're they're sort of clicking at the right moment um and the grizzlies just they're obviously a good team they're like the number two in the west but they just i think they they're missing like a veteran i think if if adams were playing i think it would have made this series a little closer but um i think the lakers are gonna are gonna win this in advance yeah, I agree. I think they're still missing Adams. It, they're also missing Brandon Clark, who is a really good big, oh, yeah. who probably could have started as a four for a lot of teams, and he's not out. He's out as well. So they're really thin there. They're playing Jaron Jackson more. They need more out of him offensively. And, you know, they tried some things in game five where they tried to go small, and the Lakers tried to match them as, at, you know, playing small, and you have LeBron getting blown by as like the small ball center. So it's like, can you try that again? Can you steal a, can you get a 10 point lead at the half doing that before the Lakers adjust? And it, it's all about adjustments and matchups. And I think this series is going to come down to the wire. I'm going to take the Lakers with, with you just because I think that crowd's really going to make a difference in, in game six. But I think those two teams are more evenly matched than we think, especially with the Grizzlies injuries. But We'll have to wait and see. Plenty more playoffs coming up. Thank you to Chris. Thank you to... Oh, I just, I just wanted yeah. to say something real quick. Um, how amazing was Trey Young the other night? Like, essentially, like, 
grabbing the hawks as they were drowning ice trays back and you know we said what we said about trey and a lot of it could still apply but it's just amazing how listen the hawks aren't back but um and we're recording this podcast before uh what is it game six yes game six six. will be uh tonight game six uh thursday night they even had to move a um a concert because of because they know i guess the didn't expect it <laughs> didn't expect it um but good on them for making this into a little bit more of a series and who knows what's going to happen next yeah no it should be great and trey has been fantastic the last three games you know 32 points in game three then he had 35 and 15 in that crazy game four and then uh 38 and 13 in the in game five where he really made that crazy shot from almost half court to to take the lead and it was awesome to see definitely yeah all right well that's going to do it for the all hoops podcast thank you for watching on youtube and listening on spotify we'll be back next week to talk more nba action including the knicks in the second round bye everyone